I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Everybody's going surfing, surfing USA on the red wave. It's high noon for Friday, November 12th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator and the merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. Today is the 296th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history, and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You have the story and you're sticking to it, but you lost the plot. So now it's our turn and we're going to be dictating the narrative until the story ends. So get comfy. We're only in the first chapter. Yesterday in the afternoon after the show was done, maybe it was toward the evening. Actually, I got a phone call from one of my very close friends, a person I've talked about on here before, a person who I consider to be a mentor. And probably the person who has done more to change my political thinking than anyone else in my life. And we had a good long talk about what I've been saying the last few days about people like Ben Shapiro and Candace Owens and to some degree Joe Rogan, but he's not really the focus of what I'm talking about at all. And one of the reasons I so enjoy my conversations with this person is that he's able to give me thoughtful and constructive criticism about not only the show, but about where my viewpoint is headed or places that he thinks I'm going a little too hard and whatever. And one of his points was, I've been in this mindset for my entire adult life. He's like 30 plus years. I have thought this way. You are relatively new to this way of thinking. So maybe don't go so hard on people who are on our team, but maybe not as far down the line and they're not going as hard on these subjects. And I take that criticism seriously. I really do. I don't agree with it. And I told him I don't agree with it. And we discussed that, but I do take it seriously. Okay. And so I want to explain a little bit more about why exactly I think this way. And why I don't have any space or sympathy or respect for people who are representing the viewpoints that people like Ben Shapiro are representing. Okay. I really don't. I do not think that Ben Shapiro is on my team. All right. A qualification of being on my team is wanting America to succeed as America. Okay. It's not about getting through this hard period. It's about writing this ship 
so it doesn't sink or crash into the iceberg that they are headed straight toward. And if you're on that team, then you should understand that a fraudulent election is the most serious issue this country has ever faced. If that is not corrected, there is no future for America as America. There is only a country in the process of succumbing to the global order. And America is not set up to be part of the global order. The global order requires the people relinquishing the freedom that America provides. There is no other way to send us into global communism, which is why I've said many times that it is apparent that these global communists need America to be part of the project. That's why they hate Donald Trump so much. Donald Trump delayed the project of the Great Reset for the years he was in office. And it's possible that without Barack Obama and the Democrat Communist Party running a shadow government throughout Trump's term, Trump may well have thwarted that global agenda. And it's possible that he has regardless, but that we're just not all the way there yet. Now, he was like, okay, I get it, right? But Ben Shapiro, in what he's doing, is waking people up to a position that is closer to yours. And I say, yes, that's fine. I agree. Candace Owens is probably doing an even better job. As I said yesterday, she is absolutely braver than the other people out there. But Candace Owens is also craftier and, sorry to say, griftier. She is always trying to stay one step ahead of where the mainstream is trending. And it's not hard to see where it's trending. Okay. All you have to do is embrace a few more ideas outside of the central narrative than the person next to you, and you will maintain your lead on them in a relative sense. It doesn't mean that you are actually breaking outside the central narrative. Okay. Have you ever seen the movie, the M. Night Shyamalan movie, The Village? If you haven't, well, spoiler alert, I suppose. The movie's like 20 years old, so you know, spoiler alerts are no longer required. Hey, do you guys know what happened in Braveheart? Uh, but the village is basically the setup is that the community therein seems like it's from like the 1700s or 1800s. And by the end of the movie, you realize that beyond the borders, the fenced in borders of this place is the real world as it exists now. They are kind of this offshoot little society that exists in secret where everyone but the leaders there thinks that what exists in that community is what the whole world is like. And so if you imagine that there is a circular fence around the village, and there is in the movie, inside that fence is everything everyone there knows except for the leaders, the higher ups in that community know what's really going on, but they don't tell anybody. In fact, they use fear and deception to deter anyone in the community from finding out what's really going on outside. In some sense, they are the gatekeepers, but they maintain the story and the illusion so well 
that most people don't even attempt to test the gatekeepers. They don't try to get outside. They don't believe there is an outside. It's everything that exists in there. That's all there is. Okay. And so if you think about that in terms of the media situation now, what we have is concentric circles of gatekeepers, right? And in that middle of these concentric circles is the mainstream corporate media. I'm talking CNN and MSNBC and Fox to a bit lesser degree. But they hammer and hammer on the central narrative and try to keep everyone as far into that middle circle as they possibly can. That's where they want everyone. But they know that people are going to go outside of that circle. So they set up gatekeepers outside of that at different levels. And I'm not meaning to necessarily imply intent here. There is top-down intent, but that doesn't mean that everybody who ends up as a gatekeeper at the edges of these concentric circles is necessarily aware of what they're doing. And to give them the benefit of the doubt, I could say many of them probably do not. But as you move outside that first circle and then the second one in the third, there are different sorts of very edgy gatekeepers at each level. And the amount to which you are willing to keep yourself open to ideas and explore new ideas, you might find yourself venturing outside of the first circle to the second, the second to the third, the third to the fourth. At some point, you are going to find people like Ben Shapiro who make sure that you can never get outside that last circle because he is standing there saying, no, I know you got this far, but out there, outside that last fence, there's nothing there. Like, just take my word for it. There's nothing there. The only thing that's there are these crazy monsters. And let's call them, let's say, uh, racists and white supremacists and homophobes like the left does, right? Conspiracy theorists. Those are all the tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists, the crazy people. That's who's outside the gate. Don't even bother going out there. In fact, don't look. And you're better off if you don't even ask about it. You're okay in this circle. I know, like, you're not going to go back into those other circles. I agree. Those people in those circles, they are crazy. But this is your circle right here. Don't worry about that stuff outside. Just monsters. And what I'm saying is that what's outside that last fence, that's the real world. That's where the truth is. That's where people ultimately need to get. And they cannot get there by listening to people who are part of the mainstream media. And Ben Shapiro can talk about the mainstream media all he wants, but Ben Shapiro is part of the mainstream media. And I've said before, by the way, I generally really like Tucker Carlson. I like the way he is, the way he does his show, but he's the mainstream media too. He has set up those fences and he keeps people inside. Where would we be if Ben Shapiro had taken the evidence of election fraud that was widely available last November and reported on it for his show? Why couldn't he do that? The information was there. He could have looked at it. He could have taken it seriously, and he would have probably, if he had, wound up at the right conclusions. Steve Bannon was out there on War Room every day talking about this stuff, and he's talked about it every day since. He's not a crazy person. These people can insult him. 
and try to tag him with labels, but none of those labels fit. Steve Bannon is a genius, and he's basically the philosophical backbone for the America First movement. And it's not like he's the only serious person that agrees with this. Plenty of serious people agree with this. And the truth is, plenty more serious people agree with it and don't say it. Now, I don't know what Ben Shapiro's exact motivations are, okay? It could be just that he really hates Trump. And there's ample evidence to suggest that that's true, at least in part. Ben Shapiro did not want more Trump because Trump is not the kind of guy that Ben Shapiro likes. Ben Shapiro likes people like him, Harvard bookworms, people who are welcome at the dinner parties and the upper crusty social clubs of the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And they may be able to steer some of the public or enough of the public to a point where they elect exclusively rhinos like Ben Shapiro, people who do not prioritize America first, who do not prioritize facts and truth and principles. And he can say he does all he wants, but the proof is there that he doesn't. You have to take election fraud seriously because of the magnitude of the claims and the amount of evidence that those claims are correct. Okay. It does not take research or a genius mind to realize that there is no way in hell Joe Biden received 81 million real legal American votes going up 15 million over Hillary Clinton's already fraudulent 2016 total while Donald Trump increased 12 million. And to believe that we are supposed to then believe that the voting population in America rose by 25 percent in one election cycle. And to believe that, we have to believe that it happened because mail-in balloting made it so easy for all these people to vote who could have never voted before. So yeah, it turns out we got an extra 27 million votes out of nowhere. But not only that, the winning margins all came in after the counting had stopped on election night and before everyone woke up the day after. Massive vote spikes with a one in a quadrillion statistical probability. That's not a joke. That's an actual mathematical analysis. And it doesn't mean that Joe Biden had initially a one in a quadrillion chance of winning and won. That's not the claim. The claim is for the votes to have come in the way they were recorded, batches, just 90% for Joe Biden. In the middle of the night, with no other trends suggesting that was even possible, was one in a quadrillion because statistics don't work the way we were told they work. The only explanation for that is election fraud. But that's not the only proof. We also know that states and cities and counties, they all changed their voting regulations. The way people vote, the mail-in balloting stuff is obvious. Ballot harvesting was allowed all over the place. We have dead voters, voters who have moved. They used the 2010 census to create voter registrations to attach to all these fake votes. This stuff is well documented. Trump won 18 out of 19 bellwether counties. Seth Keschel's work on the 
Variance in registration year over year shows statistical impossibilities of the votes rising for Joe Biden the way they did in the key counties like Maricopa. And the canvases back all this up. The evidence is overwhelming and it always has been. And if Ben Shapiro cared about thwarting the global communist agenda, all he had to do was cover the election fraud story as it developed. But he chose not to. Okay, he chose not to. That doesn't help America. He chose to ignore overwhelming evidence of election fraud because in whatever calculation he made, he determined that going after that issue would threaten and compromise his position, whether it's for money or his own political positions, not liking Trump or doing the bidding of his investors or whatever it is. Maybe he was just scared of the blowback. But either way, he made a conscious calculation to not tell the truth and not even pursue the truth. That is an insult to his audience. And it's an insult to the country that he pretends he is protecting America. And of course, it's not just Ben Shapiro. The National Review was all like this. All of the very serious bow tie wearing Conservative publications went along the same route. They were scared to talk about election fraud from day one because they were happy that Trump lost because Trump losing, they thought, would enable them to regain control of the Republican Party. They thought they could make the Trump narrative toxic and get it back on the track they wanted. And the track they want is well inside the central narrative. Everything inside the central narrative works to enable the rise of global communism. All right. It just is that simple. There is a reason why people in the world who are rich and powerful and politically motivated fund the central narrative. They profit off of this system at the expense of the American people. Okay, so yes, there is a variety of reasons, and I don't pretend to know which was the driving force in Ben Shapiro's life, but it's one of those, and they're all bad. To me, they are all deal breakers. You are not on my team, and I don't care if these sorts of people are able to bring someone from, let's say the midpoint is 50, right? Between zero and 100, the midpoint's 50. If they are going to bring someone from 50 to 60, there's a sense in which that benefits us, right? Because maybe it can shift the Overton window just a little bit. It'll open up some new avenues of conversation, maybe about illegal immigration or the corruption in the FBI and the CIA or the Russiagate hoax. But not only can it not get you to 75, 80, 90, 100. It actively prevents you from getting there because what he does is say, yeah, you guys that are on the other side of where you are, yeah, those people are crazy. So come, come out toward me, but don't go any further because those people who are on the other side of me, they're crazy too. That is definitionally protecting 
the central narrative. They are keeping people inside. And why is it, for instance, that no one in the central narrative, as much as they constantly talk about things like QAnon, how come none of them have actually taken it seriously and tried to find out what it is and inform their audience about what it is? It's not scary. It's just information among other information. They didn't bother looking into any of it. They just say, oh, those people over there, they're all conspiracy theorists. They're crazy. They be, believe in satanic cannibal child molesters. As if there's nothing else that anyone needs to know about this obvious, important phenomenon in American culture. And whether you believe it or don't believe it, I don't care at all. To deny that it's a relevant phenomenon in American culture is to be missing something important. Why can't you cover it? Oh, it's because you're very responsible. You want to make sure that your audience doesn't go over to that other side. Don't let them outside the fence, you gatekeepers. And that is why I have such a disdain for these people on the edge. Because they're like, oh, we're going we're gonna to set the conversation. We're going to tell you what you can and cannot believe. We're going to tell you who and who not to listen to. I'm not into any of that, man. I will say what I believe. I will do my best to back that up, either through the evidence I can provide or the reason behind why I'm saying what I'm saying. And I'm going to try to communicate that to you as well as I possibly can. And if you think that's crazy or stupid, you're totally entitled to that reaction. But I'm not going to tell you to ignore ideas because they sound too extreme. I'm not going to tell you not to follow people. If something sparks your interest, there's probably a reason why. And if you want to know whether or not that thing is true or legitimate or serious, look into it. What's it going to do? It's going to hurt you. Those ideas are so dangerous. You just don't know how you're going to be able to handle them. It's crazy. That's like a child brain mentality, assuming that everybody else but you has the child's brain and can't responsibly look at information outside the central narrative and judge it for yourselves. And I'm not trying to butter you up by saying that I respect my audience more than they do. I'm saying that's an obvious fact. I'm going to say what I'm going to say, and I will leave it to all of you to do the work and the thinking on your own and come to the conclusions that make sense for you in your life and how you perceive reality and how what I say maps onto that reality. And if it doesn't for you, turn the show off. I'm going to be just fine. But gatekeepers are how we got here, making certain ideas toxic so that we don't even think about them, so that we don't consider them at all. That is exactly how we got here. And I personally have had enough of it. You know, I don't think that we can simply inform people about certain stories and convince them that the other people are hypocrites, so don't listen to them. I'm trying to get to the meaning of things. I want to be a step on the path to self-discovery and the discovery of the world as it is. I want people to be confident, thinking independently, and then expressing the results of that independent thought wherever they are and with whoever they're with. 
You know, I've talked many times on this podcast about how disappointed I am in the scientific community and the public health community. They are supposed to be the experts, right? The number of scientists and doctors around the world who knew what was going on with the coronavirus and now with the vaccines and, of course, with the masks and the lockdowns and all that, but never spoke up is extraordinary. And why didn't they ever speak up? Because part of the condition of their job and the funding of their research depends on doing whatever Anthony Fauci says. And it has been that way for decades. And these scientists, they've decided that their experiments, their personal experiments are so important to the future of humanity that they cannot risk telling the truth for fear that they might not be able to complete their own personal experiments. And if they can't complete their experiments, well, then maybe we'll all die. So you better not step up, try to figure out a way to prevent us from all dying from terrible scientific information, I guess. But what happens when people feel like they are justified allowing lies to persist that they could be working to eradicate is that they give moral license to everyone else around them to do the same. They have rationalized it. They share their rationalization and someone else says, yeah, well, you know, I guess uh, Bill over there, he thinks the same thing. He's right. Our experiments are just too important. You know, I would love to speak out, but if I do, then Fauci's going to take away all this money and then our experiments will never be done. And that's what these media figures are doing. They are protecting their platform or they're just acting as the party of false decorum members they are and protecting their social status. But either way, they have decided that the incentives to stay inside the central narrative are worth it because their platform is doing some good and whatever happens, they can't give up that platform. It's exactly the same as all of these doctors. And how are these doctors going to be looked at as history progresses? I have my ideas. I think you know what those ideas are to the degree to which they have supported all of this. They will be compared to the doctors in Nazi Germany. That is where we are, okay? And these media figures are exactly the same. How are these people going to maintain their reputations and their hold on their audience when election fraud becomes obviously true? And it is to a great many people. What happens then? Where is their platform then? Who is their audience then? What are they going to say? Well, yeah, you know, but uh, uh, for the last year or so, there just there was just no evidence. And now there's all the evidence. How did it happen? That whole time, all those people were wrong. They were all crazy. We couldn't even talk about it. All those people were a joke. Oh, they're not doing their homework. Oh, they're so crazy. They're just these wild tinfoil hat conspiracies. Just turns out now, you know. Okay, I guess, yeah, they're right, but like they weren't right a year ago when they were saying the exact same thing on the exact same evidence. That's crazy. Hey, commies, it's not crazy. 
It's not crazy. And it was never crazy. And so what will the excuse be? Ben Shapiro didn't have the resources to hire a team of researchers. He probably already has researchers and writers working on his show to make his hot takes about the mainstream's news every day sound clever and sophisticated. Does Ben Shapiro not do the homework anymore? Has he gone past that point? There's no purpose in trying to find out for yourself whether or not election fraud is true. Let's just take it from Brit Hume. Well, Brett Baer said that Joe Biden has won Arizona. So I guess Joe Biden has won Arizona and he is the legitimate president. Sorry, folks. Facts don't care about your feelings. Honestly, what is that? I am perfectly comfortable saying something that is well outside the bounds of what is considered polite conversation in American culture right now, though less so every day. Let's be honest. That doesn't bother me at all. I don't care if these people like me. They have already destroyed my industry. 15 years of my adult life was spent building a career in an industry that for all intents and purposes no longer exists. What else are they going to take from me? Right? So I don't have the risk calculation they have. But likewise, I don't have the safety net they have. Ben Shapiro could have told this truth the whole time. He really could have. And so could the rest of them. But they protected their platform. They protected their social standing. And ultimately, they protected the central narrative. And that's the purpose of controlled opposition. If they were saying dangerous things, things that upset the central narrative, they would have already lost their platforms. And they do this while the enemy is advancing. That's the problem, okay? They're not stopping the enemy from advancing at any point with what they are doing and the place that they are bringing their audiences to. And so my friend intelligently responds, well, okay, I get what you're saying, but as someone who has been in this game for a very long time, you have to be crafty because you don't want to lose your platform. You want to still be able to reach people. And to a certain point, for a certain amount of time, I could accept that answer. But we're not where we were five years ago or 10 years ago or any of that. There are parallel platforms and parallel economies opening up all the time. There are other platforms that people can go to. These people have huge audiences that will follow them to other platforms, but they don't do it. And if you look at what the right, broadly speaking, has accomplished over the last 30 years, it's basically nothing. They have overseen the managed decline of America under their watch with those tactics. And again, we're talking about now the ability to go outside, the ability to raise up alternate platforms. These people do not lack resources. Joe Rogan had created his own platform completely with his own audience. And then he took the Spotify deal. Now, Rogan hasn't had anyone on to talk about election fraud to give him the case for election fraud. He could have Seth Keschel on. Seth Keschel is plenty serious. 
He can describe all of his views with statistics intelligently. He could have on Michael Flynn. He could have Lynn Wood and Sidney Powell. He could have Mike Lindell on. He could have Donald Trump on. And he could probably get some of the best interviews out of them that they have ever had. That's how much I like Joe Rogan and respect Joe Rogan and respect Joe Rogan's talent. But I don't respect not having anyone on to illuminate the issue for his audience. That's a huge, huge error. It says that perhaps, and again, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. That says that Joe Rogan himself never took the issue seriously and not taking an issue of that consequence of that magnitude seriously to me is unforgivable. You're all free to make your own decisions about that. You think I'm going too hard? All good. I'm not insulted by that. I know that this is an extreme position, but one that I believe is nonetheless true. It being extreme does not say anything about its truth value. Where have we gotten in all these years? Where have they gotten is a better way of saying it because I wasn't always on the team. Where have they gotten by using these strategies for the last 30 years? I would say nowhere. The left, the global communists continue to advance on the position at all times. And these people do absolutely nothing to stop them except for put people like Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell and Dan Crenshaw in office. And that gets us nowhere. And so my friend says, yeah, but you got to understand there is this dominant culture that we have to work inside of and against in order to advance our position. And again, I think that that is a totally fine and smart point to make. But it is also a position that is derived from recognizing your position's weakness, all right? Strategizing from that position is wise if you are actually in a position of weakness. But if you have the truth on your side and the people on your side, you're not operating from a position of weakness. You're operating from a position of unrecognized strength. In that situation, operating from a position of weakness is misreading the state of play. It's choosing to play a loser's game rather than exerting your power. Only truth has power. Okay. The lies and the half truths may serve the comfort of individuals and they may ultimately win some of these insignificant battles, but only truth wins the war. All right. Again, this is psychological warfare. This is an information war. The truth is the best weapon. And the people ultimately are the ones that will win the war knowing the truth. Winning insignificant battles might look important. It might look like we're getting things accomplished. But what we're really doing is expending time and resources on the very people that are leading us to ruin. And truthfully, I find it all extraordinarily patronizing. If you remember the segment about Ben Shapiro yesterday, recalling his views on the vaccine, how he still thinks that all adults should get vaccinated, but he's not going to force them. While also understanding the risk calculation, understanding that there's no long term data for anyone about the vaccines. And even immediately submitting 
to Joe Rogan as soon as Rogan points out, yeah, this isn't a vaccine. It's an experimental gene therapy. Shapiro's like, okay, I guess you're right. So he knows the stuff, but he won't say it to anybody because then people might not get vaccinated. And then he's part of the problem, right? He'll get attacked. So what is he doing? In some sense, he believes that it's good for him to misrepresent the position that he actually at least partially holds and understands because he has to protect you. He's the keeper of the flame of truth. Not everyone gets to witness it. It's exactly like the leaders in the village. They're going to convince you that that outside world doesn't exist. It's just not safe out there for you guys. I mean, I could go out there. Wouldn't be no problem at all if I went out there. But you guys, you guys just are not prepared to understand what's outside that fence. So we're going to have to keep you in here. And the craziest thing is that if you asked him about it, he would rationalize all of this. He actually, I'm sure, believes that he is telling the truth. And he'll present a very, very smart argument about why election fraud just couldn't have happened. And, you know, even if it did, it probably didn't affect the outcome. But I mean, if it affected the outcome, it's too late. And maybe we can try to work on some voter ID and some election integrity in this state or that state. And it would be good if we got that Zuckerberg money out of there. But really, everything is pretty much okay. Just look at Virginia. And that's when the self-deception begins, because these people don't want to think about themselves as liars or gatekeepers. They want to think of themselves as very rational, very reasonable, very moderate, and very accurate. So what they'd have to do is then find the complicated and convoluted explanations for why their position actually makes sense. And you could hear him in what I played yesterday, struggling with that problem and not winning, by the way. And so I said to my friend, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, I was like, man, I don't even think of like the real dyed in the wool communists as being my enemy, you know? I'm way more concerned about the gatekeepers on the right, the rhinos, the people who are enabling globalism, global communism to advance by doing nothing but keeping people inside the central narrative. The people who are ostensibly on our side, but are not actively engaged in the fight, though they are convincing people they are. That's the real danger. And so I'm sorry. But people like Ben Shapiro, people like Candace Owens are not people I respect. I don't think that they are doing impressive intellectual work by any means. What they are doing is giving hot takes. They are reading the temperature of the crowd and giving them something that might edge them out a little bit, or it might just make them feel more confident in their position but they're not moving the ball. They are not advancing anything for us because all of this is happening on a timeline. Things get progressively worse while they slowly move in our direction a little bit at a time, but never too much, never going outside the gate. And while they're meticulously curating their public image and always trying to stay just a little bit ahead of the central narrative, People's lives are being destroyed. And if 
public sentiment is moving at the speed they are directing, then we will lose the country. We cannot win fraudulent elections. We can only lose in ways that might make us feel like our team is winning, even as the enemy continues to advance. That's no good. Anyone who is leading us to that position is not on my team. And so I'm sorry for the extended rant, but I do think that it is important to communicate where I am coming from on this stuff and why I take the position I have taken and why I will not move or waver on this. There is going to come a time where the things that I am saying are publicly understood. And I'm not saying every single thing I say is ultimately going to turn out right and everyone will know it. And then they all bow down. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the American public will understand without question that election fraud happened. Um, The American public will understand without question that the COVID narrative was a fraud. Okay, that the vaccines don't work, that masks never worked, that lockdowns are one of the most heinous policies that has ever been inflicted on humanity and one of the most damaging. Those things will be true and will be known. And at that point, I am going to feel very comfortable having been where I am this entire time. And people like Ben Shapiro are not going to be able to say that because they haven't done the work and it's obvious that they haven't. If you follow the info stream, you know that I am thinking about this stuff and taking in information on these subjects for 15 hours a day, every single day, every single day. Whether it's a good news day or a bad news day, whether it's fun or not, Because there is no way to chart a course through all of this and try to come out on the other side in a free America. If you spend your day trying to write viral tweets and figure out like what the perfect hot take is about Brian Laundry or Travis Scott or the word woke, those are sideshows. So I will rest my case on this until another day. I'm sure I'll end up talking about it again. So let's get to some important current stories as they advance. This is from this morning, Greg Jarrett on Fox News. Adam Schiff's disgraceful legacy is the headline. The most recent indictment by special counsel John Durham has fully exposed the notorious Steele dossier as nothing more than a collection of lies designed to drive the phony narrative that former President Donald Trump colluded with Russia. But beyond Hillary Clinton and her cronies who invented and disseminated the hoax, there were plenty of other remorseless liars who contributed to the fiction. The most flagrant huckster of hysteria was Representative Adam Schiff, the highest ranking Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee. He was instrumental in fueling the feeding frenzy over the dossier fabricated by ex-British spy Christopher Steele. Schiff promoted it and defended it in hundreds of televised appearances. Incredibly, he is still at it. Appearing this week on The View, the congressman was confronted by guest co-host Morgan Ortegas, who offered him the chance to come clean by admitting he was culpable for spreading a big lie and devising a few whoppers of his own. Instead of a sincere mea culpa, Schiff bobbed and weaved as Ortega skillfully pressed him with direct questions that could only be answered with the unadorned truth. Sadly, truth is meaningless to a guy like Schiff, who was torched afterwards by journalist Glenn Greenwald as an amoral sociopath. 
In the interview, Schiff awkwardly dodged the fact that he had spent three long years spreading lies and misleading the American public by relentlessly vouching for the dossier. At one point, he was so confident of its veracity that he read it verbatim into the congressional record. When Ortegas accused him of spreading destructive disinformation for years, Schiff answered by saying that he couldn't have known if people were lying to steal. But that's not remotely true. Lots of people knew that the dossier was a pack of lies, myself included. All you had to do was read it. It was poorly written and laughable on its face. The FBI discredited Steele's dossier within months of its composition. The Bureau fired him as a confidential source for lying. Schiff's own intelligence committee conducted an exhaustive investigation led by then chairman representative Devin Nunes and found no evidence of collusion. The dossier was noxious junk. Yet Schiff continued to frequently claim that he had corroborated its contents. He declared publicly that he had smoking gun documents and had personally seen ample evidence of collusion in plain sight. And that's a direct quote from Adam Schiff. He never did, of course, because that purported evidence never existed. Schiff just made it all up. As Ortegas persisted, Schiff grew noticeably uncomfortable. He tried to change subjects and shift attention to Trump. Out of nowhere, he brought up the January 6th insurrection, except he called it an erection before correcting himself. One of the main reasons the hoax worked so well for so long is that people like Schiff were willing to misrepresent the lack of proof they claimed to be holding in secret. News outlets like CNN and MSNBC invited the congressman to go on air and promise week after week that we were just on the edge of a big reveal of a scandal too horrible to even detail. And one of the interesting aspects of this, this is not my personal observation. I have learned this over years. Many people have said this before, but people like Devin Nunes would have a hard time contesting the things that Adam Schiff said in public because to do so, he would have to disclose the actual contents of his confidential meetings. Adam Schiff, from his protected position, was not worried about disclosing the contents of those meetings because no one was going to call him on it. And the truth is, he wasn't actually revealing confidential information because what he was saying wasn't what was in the meetings and what was in the documents that have since been declassified. He was only using his position on the intelligence committee to give credibility to the story he was spinning, which was completely false. Journalists allowed themselves to be played for fools by a con artist extraordinaire. Reporters became Schiff's witting dupes, never bothering to challenge him or attempting to verify his sensational claims with something called credible evidence. Schiff got away with his deceit by hiding behind the supposedly classified nature of the evidence he claimed to have seen. I can't go into the particulars, but there is more than circumstantial evidence now, he said on NBC's Meet the Press. There was little pushback. He consistently trumpeted that he had personally examined incontrovertible evidence of collusion, but he failed to produce any of it. He told ABC News that the illicit Trump-Russia conspiracy was of, quote, a size and scope probably beyond Watergate, end quote. You could fill pages with Schiff's venomous canards, which I did in my book, Witch Hunt, the story of the greatest mass delusion in American political history. One of the most shameful episodes occurred when he questioned former Trump campaign advisor Carter Page during a congressional hearing, which he managed to transform into a theater of the absurd. Armed with no evidence whatsoever except the dossier that he read aloud, Schiff portrayed 
Page as a Kremlin spy. The evidence cited a courteous handshake during a chance encounter that lasted less than 10 seconds. The congressman proclaimed that it was proof positive of an agreement to steal the presidency. Ridiculous? Sure. In one lengthy harangue, Schiff contended that Page, an unpaid junior volunteer who never even met the candidate nor spoke with him, had been offered the equivalent of an $11 billion bribe by the Russians to unduly influence Trump in the event that he won the 2016 election. It was another extravagant dossier fable. Page sat there flabbergasted that anyone, much less a U.S. congressman, would even consider such drivel. But it was classic Schiff. Ah, classic Schiff. When finally afforded a chance to respond during the hearing, Page denounced the dossier as totally preposterous. It most certainly was. Covert meetings described in the document never happened. He insisted that he did not discuss the Trump campaign with any Russians and had never colluded with them, as the dossier wrongfully asserted. Schiff was undeterred. He was convinced that he had cornered the hobgoblin of a grand conspiracy. But his only evidence was the dossier itself, which was no evidence at all. The Mueller report later exonerated Page, confirming that none of the damning accusations against him and cited by Schiff were true. Not surprisingly, the congressman has never had the decency to apologize to Page for his unconscionable smears. Instead, he continued to propagate the lies despite declassified documents showing that he knew all along there was no plausible evidence of a collusion conspiracy. Now, revealed as a thoroughly disreputable fraud, Schiff refuses to accept responsibility for nourishing the wild accounts of treasonous acts that never occurred. The editorial board of the Boston Herald best described the damage that Adam Schiff's dishonesty has caused when it wrote, The effect was to frighten and alarm millions of Americans, sowing division between neighbors, toxifying our discourse, and raising anxieties. That is the disgraceful legacy of Adam Schiff. So I share that partly to show you that that narrative is advancing and partly because I absolutely loathe Adam Schiff, but also because I want you to keep in mind the underlying meaning here. And that is that this is one of the foundational beliefs in American culture that serve to undermine Donald Trump and his legitimacy and his commitment to America. The Trump-Russia collusion hoax falling apart is going to teach a lot of people addicted to the central narrative about their standards of belief and how easily misled they are by the people giving them information and by the people claiming seriousness and responsibility. And I want to recall some of the context here in June. This article is from June 14th, 2021. This is USA Today, Josh Meyer and Christine Phillips, DOJ Inspector General to review Trump Justice Department seizure of Democrats phone data. Okay, the Justice Department's independent watchdog on Friday announced that it was launching a broad investigation into whether the Trump administration and its two attorneys general improperly seized phone records of House Democratic lawmakers, their staff and journalists as part of an aggressive 2018 leak investigation. Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz confirmed that he would launch an investigation into it, as well as on the use of subpoenas to obtain journalists' phone records. Horowitz also said his watchdog agency would look beyond subpoenas to other legal authorities used to obtain communication records in connection with recent investigations of alleged unauthorized disclosures of information to the media by government officials. 
The review will examine the department's compliance with applicable DOJ policies and procedures, Horowitz said, and whether any such uses or the investigations were based on improper considerations. If circumstances warrant, the OIG will consider other issues that may arise during the review. The Office of the Inspector General can initiate investigations based on information received from a variety of sources, including its own hotline, referrals from agencies or Congress. In this case, Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco made the request. The announcement came after Democratic reps Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell confirmed that Trump era Justice Department officials secretly seized their Apple phone data, as well as that of 10 or so other House Intelligence Committee members and their relatives. The subpoena which Apple received in early 2018, appeared to have cast a wide net, seeking data on more than 100 phone numbers and email addresses, according to the company. It also included a gag order that, for three years, prevented Apple from telling lawmakers their data had been seized. Got it? Now, there's more to this article. You're welcome to read it yourself. But Adam Schiff knows what position Adam Schiff is in, okay? And you have to understand his actions through that prism. Adam Schiff is already in full-blown panic and lying to cover up other lies, and that's just the stuff that is happening externally. His own information that was seized and analyzed as part of the investigation into the Trump-Russia collusion hoax is wholly separate from what is already coming down on Adam Schiff. It is going to get so much worse for him and Thank goodness, so much worse for Eric Swalwell. Now, changing subjects without a segue, staying with Fox News. This is Joseph Wolfson from last night on the developing Project Veritas New York Times FBI story. Federal judge orders DOJ to halt data extraction from James O'Keefe's phones following an FBI raid. A federal judge ordered the Department of Justice to stop extracting data from the phones of Project Veritas founder James O'Keefe days after his home was raided by the FBI as part of an investigation into the missing diary belonging to President Biden's daughter, Ashley Biden. The order, which came on Thursday from District Court Judge Annalisa Torres from the Southern District of New York, granted the request from James O'Keefe's legal team made Wednesday for an independent special master to be appointed to oversee the review of his devices. We are gratified that the Department of Justice has been ordered to stop extracting and reviewing confidential and privileged information obtained in their raids of our reporters, including legal, donor, and confidential source communications, O'Keefe's attorney, Harmeet Dillon, told Fox News. The First Amendment won a temporary victory today, but Project Veritas has a long way to go to hold the DOJ and FBI accountable for their actions. According to the order, the DOJ must confirm to the court by Friday that it has paused its review of O'Keefe's phones appearing on Tucker Carlson tonight. Dylan said the federal government seizing any of Project Veritas's donor information, communications with its lawyers, as well as sources from within the Biden administration are multiple First Amendment issues. We went to court and asked the court to order a special master to review this information and not let the Southern District of New York prosecutors and the FBI look at it without somebody separating out this information. Dylan told Fox News's Tucker Carlson. The government would not agree to do that voluntarily, but we went to court and today a federal judge did order the government to stop looking at these phones. So ultimately, we're going to get some answers as to what was reviewed and what they did with it. 
The DOJ has specific regulations about this. There's also a federal statute called the Privacy Protection Act that protects journalists and their information from exactly this type of thuggish behavior that the DOJ has done in this case. And they have blown federal law. They have blown the Constitution. They've blown due process and civil rights. And now they're so easily communicating in some level for sure with the New York Times, Dylan added. Dylan was alluding to the Times reporting on the FBI raids of O'Keefe and two Project Veritas associates, as well as the publishing of confidential communications between the guerrilla news organization and its attorneys. O'Keefe appeared on Hannity for his first interview since the FBI raids took place. I woke up to a pre-dawn raid, O'Keefe told Fox News' Sean Hannity on Monday. Banging on my door and I went to my door to answer the door and there were 10 FBI agents with a battering ram, white blinding lights. They turned me around, handcuffed me and threw me against the hallway. I was partially clothed in front of my neighbors. They confiscated my phone. They raided my apartment. On my phone were many of my reporter's notes, a lot of my sources unrelated to this story and a lot of confidential donor information to our news organization. And so that's a little bit of the context. The article goes on. Read it if you like. But I want to switch to Breitbart. New York Times attacks Project Veritas and James O'Keefe for using lawyers. The New York Times published an article Thursday in which it attempted to cast suspicion on James O'Keefe and his Project Veritas for using lawyers to keep investigations within legal bounds, something every news organization does or should do. The Times has its own legal team that reviews stories and advises reporters and editors on how to avoid libel suits. But the Times uses the fact that Project Veritas hires lawyers to cast aspersions on its reporting, calling it a form of political spying. The Times based its reporting on legal memos obtained from Project Veritas's lawyers. The documents, and this is the Times, the documents, a series of memos written by the group's lawyer, detail ways for Project Veritas sting operations, which typically diverge from standard journalistic practice by employing people who mask their real identities or create fake ones to infiltrate target organizations to avoid breaking federal statutes such as the law against lying to government officials. The legal documents obtained by the Times were written several years ago at a time when Project Veritas was remaking itself from a small operation running on a shoestring budget to a group more closely modeled on a small intelligence gathering organization. Though it does not say whether the memos were leaked from law enforcement or the company, the leak comes after a controversial FBI raid on O'Keefe's home. Notably, one of the journalists who worked on the Times story is Michael S. Schmidt who won a Pulitzer Prize for reporting on the supposed link between President Donald Trump and Russia, a link that was later shown not to exist. Many of the Times stories relied on leaks from law enforcement and intelligence agencies, which falsely suggested Russia collusion. The raid concerned a diary purportedly belonging to President Joe Biden's daughter, Ashley Biden, which Project Veritas says it turned over to police and did not use in news coverage. Liberal legal scholar, Jonathan Turley called the basis for the raid into question, noting that it looked suspiciously like a government attempt to intimidate and suppress critical media and noted that other media outlets had been curiously silent in Project Veritas's defense, barely raising questions about the raid. Critics of the Times article noted that the newspaper and its sources might have violated O'Keefe's legal rights. And they have a tweet inserted here from very edgy guy Mike Cernovich. 
The FBI is leaking attorney client privileged files to a party adverse to Project Veritas in a civil lawsuit. This is not a gray area. It's black letter criminal felonies committed by the FBI and the New York Times. You got that? So what we have is after years of the FBI and the CIA and the Department of Justice leaking information to the state media to support their anti-Trump narrative, which was 100% based on lies. Now, these same organizations, well, the FBI in particular, and the Department of Justice, are leaking James O'Keefe's private and privileged communications with his attorney to the New York Times, and they are publishing it to try to harm Project Veritas. These media organizations are unbelievable. CNN actually put up a post yesterday about how, yes, it's good that we honor the soldiers on Veterans Day because they're here to protect the country. But you know who's really protecting the country? The media. And so we should be honoring them the same way. They really did that. And I think we all can see what this is at this point. These organizations pretend to have all these values and principles that they simply do not have. They are trying to destroy a journalist and they are being helped in that effort by the FBI. And the people doing this are not even ashamed of it. They don't think they will ever have to be held accountable for any of this. Or maybe at this point, they suspect they will be held accountable. What all these people have in common is that they are amid an existential crisis right now. Okay. If the truth about what they have done ever makes it to the surface, they are all finished. And so what we see now is them just blatantly and openly violating the law and every ounce of morality that you could have ever possibly ascribed to them. And I want to hit one more story before we go. This is from the substack of a man named Aaron Siri. Okay. Aaron Siri is an attorney and managing partner of Siri and Glimstad LLP. And he does a bunch of civil rights work and civil litigation. Here is what he posted yesterday. CDC admits crushing rights of naturally immune without proof they transmit the virus. After formal demand, the CDC concedes it does not have proof of a single instance of a naturally immune individual spreading the virus. You would assume that if the CDC was going to crush the civil and individual rights of those with natural immunity by having them expelled from school, fired from their jobs, separated from the military and worse, the CDC would have proof of at least one instance of an unvaccinated, naturally immune individual transmitting the COVID-19 virus to another individual. If you thought this, you would be wrong. My firm, on behalf of ICANN, asked the CDC for precisely this proof. ICANN wanted to see proof of any instance in which someone who had previously had COVID-19 became reinfected with and transmitted the virus to someone else. The CDC's incredible response is that it does not have a single document reflecting that this has ever occurred, not one. In contrast, there are endless documents reflecting cases of vaccinated individuals becoming infected with and transmitting the virus to others. 
such as this study. And he links a study there and this study and this study and this study. It goes on and on. But it gets worse. The CDC's excuse for not having a shred of evidence of the naturally immune transmitting the virus is that this information is not collected. What? No proof? But yet the CDC is actively crushing the rights of millions of naturally immune individuals in this country if they do not get the vaccine on the assumption that they can transmit the virus. But despite clear proof the vaccinated spread the virus, the CDC lifts restrictions on the vaccinated? That is dystopian. Yeah, it is. The facts about natural immunity are simple. Every single peer-reviewed study has found that the naturally immune have far greater than 99% protection from having COVID-19, and this immunity does not wane. In contrast, the COVID-19 vaccine provides, at best, 95% protection, and this immunity wanes rapidly. I am no mathematician, but a constant 99% seems preferable to a 95% that quickly drops. And for the record, that 95% has always been nonsense. And while the vaccinated readily transmit the virus, not so for the naturally immune. The lesson, again, is not that health authorities should never make mistakes. They will. It happens. The lesson is that civil and individual rights should never be contingent upon a medical procedure. Everyone, the naturally immune or otherwise, who wants to get vaccinated and boosted should be free to do so. But nobody should be coerced by the government to partake in any medical procedure. And then he attaches the response to his FOIA request. And here it is. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry received your September 2nd, 2021 Freedom of Information Act request on September 2nd, 2021, seeking documents reflecting any documented case of an individual who, one, never received a COVID-19 vaccine, two, was infected with COVID-19 once, recovered, and then later became infected again, and three, transmitted sars Cove 2 to another person when reinfected. A search of our records failed to reveal any documents pertaining to your request. The CDC Emergency Operations Center conveyed that this information is not collected. So this is not a report or an opinion. This is the government's own document admitting that they don't even bother with this critical piece of information. And if you understand their motivations, why would they? All this can do is harm their narrative. Think about this. Why aren't we given antibody tests? Rather than these PCR tests that yield upwards of 90% false positives, why aren't there free antibody tests for everyone out there to find out whether or not they may have had asymptomatic COVID-19? and thus have antibodies to protect them from an infection of COVID-19, which would mean they do not require the vaccine in any way. And then, in fact, they would be taking the vaccine, I mean, experimental gene therapy, and exposing themselves to the risk of vaccine injury for a disease to which they already have immunity. In the best case scenario, this experimental gene therapy causes your body to create antibodies that would help you fight off a COVID-19 infection. And that theory of the case 
is what makes them say that the vaccines are effective. The presence of those antibodies is the vaccine being successful, no matter what happens after. That is the standard that they have used. And so they are testing for antibodies in people who have taken the experimental gene therapy in their trials. And when they find those antibodies, they say the vaccine was very successful. It's very safe and very effective. Of course, it turns out that it is not very safe and it is not virtually at all effective. Because the thing it does goes away and then the person is left right where they were before. And so what we have is a lifetime subscription to a to an experimental gene therapy and they can change it as they wish. They can put whatever they want in there. They don't even have to tell anybody. They don't have any liability for it, but they are testing for antibodies in that situation. Why aren't they testing everyone else for antibodies? And before I go, I just want to share one more thought that I was having about this this week, you know, they have injected zoo animals around the country with the experimental gene therapy. And some of those animals have died. The people that I used to associate with in Los Angeles, all of these very influential Obamis and Romneys, a lot of them have pets and you could say to them, Hey, how come you haven't vaccinated your dog? And they'd be like, what? Well, my dog can't really get COVID. And I mean, I guess they have some proof of like testing animals and animals coming up positive, but like animals aren't dying from COVID. Like when was the big animal die off? They would be right. And they would realize, well, you know, I, I don't know. Have these vaccines really been tested to find out if they're very safe and very effective for animals? Like, would I be protecting my animal from anything? Wouldn't I just be potentially injuring my animal? Like, I I love my dog. I don't want to do that. It's like, yeah, great, Kami. You are thinking it all the way through. That is really excellent. So why did you just take your kid, your five-year-old, to the vaccine clinic and then post a picture of him after getting his shot? And mention in the caption that it took four people to hold him down because he was screaming and didn't want it. But thank goodness we got it now because now he's protected. Hey, hey, Kami, your five-year-old, there's no long-term safety data. There's not even really any short-term safety data. And there's also no data anywhere in the world that says your kid is at high risk of becoming infected with the coronavirus transmitting the coronavirus, getting seriously ill from the coronavirus, or dying from the coronavirus. So riddle me this, Kami. Why are you more careful about your dog's health than you are about your own child's? And I can guess at answers, but it's certainly not because of the science. So what is it really? It's social credit. And that, my friends, is very, very sick. And it's good to keep in mind that there is absolutely nothing inside the central narrative that has prevented things like that from occurring. They're still happening. And you know what situation they wouldn't be happening under? If people like Ben Shapiro and people with massive audiences had gone after election fraud based on the evidence as they should have a year ago. It is what it is.
I'll be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. You can join the discussion at t.me slash I'm reasonable. I'm also on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcouture.com. You can also go direct to that at shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. I'll see you next time out on the range. Acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!